Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. It is the first Sunday of Advent, where we remember the birth of Jesus and his coming into our world. And keep listening to hear the story of two kids being cast aside and their story of survival. I'm Jeff Page, Director of Young Adult Ministries, and today's the first Sunday in Advent a time when we remember the Christmas story and prepare our hearts to fully celebrate the meaning of God coming to earth in the form of Jesus. And now more than ever, we need this time coming out of Thanksgiving and going into Christmas to remember the good news of Christmas, especially because 2020 has been a hot mess. It's been absurdly, exhaustingly tough this year. For me personally, it's felt like living in an episode of Lost or Stranger Things. I don't know about you, but there were moments watching those shows and moments living through 2020 when I felt like it would take four shots of espresso just to calm me down. Let's run through the highlight reel. Massive fires in Australia, an oil leak in the Russian Ambaryanaya River, earthquakes in Mexico and Turkey, flooding in China, India, and Nepal, and worst of all, an unprecedented global pandemic caused by a novel, never-before-seen coronavirus which we knew nothing about. It overwhelmed our healthcare resources, crushed economies both here and around the world. In fact, Hawaii's unemployment rate jumped from less than 3% to 24%. Many restrictions were set in place to protect the vulnerable and to slow the spread of COVID. And we found ourselves confined to our homes, restricted from gathering with our friends in Ohana, and we could no longer worship together in person. Businesses were forced to close and people were unable to work. There were times when it felt like it didn't matter what the question was. The answer would surely be no. And then the west coast of the mainland goes up in flames, literally. And at that point, it seemed like we had come full circle to the Australian wildfires. But 2020 hasn't just been like living in loss. It's also been like living in the most drama-filled reality TV reality show. Let's recap what happened in this season of reality TV reality. There were our murder hornets in Washington. That's not a thing, is it? That's a thing. And then of course we have this hugely contentious political environment and racial tension. And there were other times when it felt like living in a modern tragedy. Like when I heard about tragic the tragic death of basketball star Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, or Black Panther movie star Chadwick Boseman. But even closer to home were my neighbors, my friends and family members who were infected with COVID, struggling to pay their bills, or lost their job. And it all got very real for me recently when my friend lost both his parents and his sister within three days of each other to COVID. With all the stress, tragedy, outrage, and personal struggle we've experienced this year, it's easy to feel like there's no room in our lives for anyone or anything else. The tragic, unbelievable reality TV reality of 2020 can just leave us feeling like, I'm just trying to survive here. Sorry, Jesus, I am tapped. Or in the words of Hobbit Bilbo Baggins, I feel thin, like stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. Maybe you've endured the loss that has left you with not more room, but less. Maybe you've lost someone dear to you. 
and you couldn't visit them when they were in the hospital, and you couldn't even gather with loved ones to celebrate their life. We've all lost the ability to hug one another safely, and some of you live alone, and you haven't had a hug since March. There can be a kind of emptiness that leaves you with less room, not more. Maybe you feel alone today, but there's good news. At Christmas, the Almighty God became human, and He knows firsthand what it's like to struggle through the challenges and tragedies of human life. He's made himself available to us so that no one needs to go through it alone. But our challenge is that when we most need the help of our powerful and compassionate God, will we even make room for him or ask for help? This has been a brutal year for our nation, our world, and for many of us personally. Christmas is coming but the nostalgic hallmark version of Christmas doesn't seem sufficient and it feels like more of a fairy tale than ever. Even so, the hot mess of 2020 offers us a compelling invitation, a unique lens that we can see the gritty reality of Christmas. This year can help us to see beyond the tinsel and the platitudes of merry everything into the epicenter of Christmas, the very God quake that has been rearranging reality for more than 2000 years. It can give us hope and strength for the journey. If we look intently into the reality of Christmas, what do we see? We see that Christmas is intensely durable and intimately personal. Christ was born into a world racked with suffering and tension, a difficult world that feels remarkably familiar. As we read from the Christmas story today and begin this Advent season together, I want to invite you to apply the lens of 2020 and use it to better come to grips with these accounts of people in an overloaded world. So let's read Luke chapter two, verses one through seven to find out more. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So imagine yourself there, 2,000 years ago. Mary and Joseph are probably around 16 and 18 years old. Their families and friends have likely disowned them, many likely assuming that Mary's pregnant with another man's child, or that Mary and Joe were sexually active before their marriage. The young couple navigated this possible rift in their own relationship when Mary became pregnant with God's miracle but there's no record of an angel setting the matters straight with anyone else except for Joseph. So there they are on their own, needing to fend for themselves. And on top of that, it's a census year. So they're required to, to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem over difficult terrain and up and down hills. It's not something I can imagine, but to all the moms out there, imagine walking or riding a donkey all day every day for the last nine days of your pregnancy. That's insane. 
Guys, imagine watching your wife go through that. Picture yourself futilely trying to help in some small way. Their world simply had no room for Jesus. Mary and Joseph's community had, had no room for Jesus. Their families may not have had any room for Jesus. Rome doesn't care that Mary's late in her pregnancy. Caesar is ruler of the world. He's got people to count and taxes to raise. No one in Bethlehem can spare a room for the evening to shelter his mother giving birth to him. There's no room for Jesus as an infant, and there certainly is no room for Christ, the King of Kings, even if all the inns from Bethlehem to Nazareth were empty. See, even with just the rumor of Christ, King of the Jews, Herod's response would result in the deaths of every boy in Bethlehem born within two years of Jesus. Their world had no room for Jesus. And that hasn't changed. Much of our world has no room for Jesus either. I certainly haven't heard our government leaders publicly seeking wisdom and help from Jesus. Nor are his instructions sought for direction and clarity in treatment, vaccine development, illness prevention, any of those things. His aid is rarely called on publicly by those who are forming public policy measures. In fact, it even seems ridiculous to even advocate for that, and that's my point. There's no room for Jesus in any secular field. And secular is used to refer to everything that relates to real life. Our world has no room for Jesus, so we relegate him to the stables, the realm of superstition and conjecture and wishful thinking. Yet, he is master of every domain of reality and knowledge. Reality is what you crash into when you're wrong, and knowledge is what gives you authority. Jesus is master of both. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard shares a few relevant qualifications and competencies of Jesus. Dallas calls Jesus the master of molecules, who knows how to transform the molecular structure of water to make wine. And that knowledge allowed him to feed thousands with a few pieces of bread and some little fish. He also knows how to transform the tissue of the human body from sickness to health, from death to life. If Jesus was famous for anything during his life in Israel, it was healing sick people. So it's ironic that our world is busy consulting public health advisors, virologists, and physicians, but can find no place or time to consult the great physician. That first Christmas, it wasn't just the world, governments, kings, and emperors who had no room for Jesus. It was people. It was the innkeepers and neighbors. It was friends and friends of friends, some of whom Joseph may have even grown up with. It was people like you and me who couldn't make room for Jesus. Joseph is desperately seeking somewhere for his wife to give birth, and the birth is imminent. But despite his pleas for help, there was no help and no room anywhere. Or rather, there was no room anywhere except for a garage filled with livestock. Clearly, from the perspective of the people of Bethlehem, the love had run out and there was no room. But to be fair to our current and former residents of Bethlehem, they were facing a census. You might be thinking, a census isn't that bad, not compared to everything that we've had to put up with in 2020. But actually, this was an incredibly stressful time for just about everyone in Bethlehem. I mean, I get stressed out if I have to appear in traffic court, but that was nothing compared to the iron fist of the Roman Empire that first Christmas. 
Rome was this unyielding, tyrannical machine, and it could crush you, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. The consequences for a misstep could be fatal. And not just that, Bethlehem was packed. Everyone was mandated to register in their hometown, so the same reason that brought Mary and Joseph to town also brought many other stressed-out people. And the irony of these events is that the world had no room for the loving God we all desperately need. The God who created heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts, has arrived full of love, empathy, and compassion, and finds nothing but closed doors. Heaven comes to earth only to be greeted by a no vacancy sign. Like people throughout the Roman Empire, we too might feel like we have no room for Jesus or other people. We're in a pandemic. Things are so stressful. We can't seem to find any room in our schedules, our energy, or our budget. It's really hard to find room during a pandemic with social distancing. And it's really hard to find room at any time. And that goes both ways. Maybe you're feeling alone, even rejected, and you're wondering if anyone cares about you. Does anyone have room for you? Speaking of no room, I want to tell you a story about my good friend Dave. When Dave was four years old, he found himself and his two-year-old sister alone. He and his sister were locked all alone inside their apartment. His mom had not been home for days, and this wasn't the first time, but it was longer than ever before. The two of them were hungry, and they couldn't get out through the door, and they hadn't eaten in days, and Dave was worried. So four-year-old Dave evaluated the situation and concluded that the only way out was through the window. Unfortunately, they lived on the third floor. He was desperate. They were starving, and four-year-old Dave decided that they would jump out the window. Hoping that he would break his sister's fall, Dave put his sister on his back, opened the window, and then jumped to the alley below. By God's grace, they landed on an awning which slowed their fall. But unfortunately, after sliding all the way to the end of the awning, the children shifted positions and the fall broke his sister's leg. What a heartbreaking moment. Can you picture it? See them there on the cement? But even so, in that dark moment when it seemed like no one had room in their hearts for these two small children, God was at work making room for them. Through that painful experience, Child Protective Services was alerted to their situation and both children were placed into a foster care system. For two years, Dave and his sister moved from one foster home to another, but there still just didn't seem to be any room for them. But then one day, a few weeks before Christmas, their social worker dropped them off at the home of Garland and Patricia Bush. The Bush home was a magical house with cookies and horses and animals and good things to eat. And the new foster parents never yelled at or hit Dave or his sister. It seemed that all these things were finally going well and good things were coming. Until one day, the mother came around the corner and saw a puzzling sight. David put on every article of clothing he could find, pair after pair of socks, at least three pairs of underwear, three pairs of trousers, multiple shirts of every kind and variety. What are you doing? She asked. We're ready to leave. Uh, we just wanted to take all these nice clothes you bought with us. She was confused and asked for clarification. And Dave said, 
It's just what happens. We move in with a family, stay for a while, and then the love runs out. So we move on to somewhere else. So just tell me, has the love run out? I'll get my sister ready and we'll be on our way. What a powerful question. Has the love run out? But Dave's story doesn't end there. Dave asked her, has the love run out? And looking at this six-year-old fighting back tears, Patricia knew that David, Dave needed more than another empty promise. So she brought him to the Christmas tree, turned on the lights, and showed him a simple foil pinwheel ornament. As Dave stood there gazing at the, all the beautiful lights, she placed the ornaments on a branch directly over a bunch of colored lights. She said to him, if you're ever wondering and need to know if the love has run out, come and turn on the lights and look at this ornament. If the ornament is spinning, you can know for sure that the love hasn't run out. So what do you think six-year-old Dave did? He did what any of us would do. He snuck down every night till Christmas, turning on the lights, which of course his mother knew would make that little fan spin. But Dave didn't know anything about heat rising, current convections, causing that little fan to spin, and at that moment he wouldn't have cared anyways. The spinning ornament was only telling him what his heart already knew. The love would never run out. It was exactly what Dave needed to hear. It was so much more than words. This was the powerful, life-altering assurance and security which Dave eventually found freedom in. He was no longer an orphan, no longer on his own. He no longer needed to hide food under his bed. Over time, that promise became the bedrock that he stood on, along with the commitment of both Jesus and the Bush family that transformed this boy into a personal hero of mine. So look at that ornament spinning on the tree. Wouldn't it be nice if we had something like Dave's ornament? Something so concrete we could look at it and know that the love hasn't run out on us. Well, actually, there was an ornament that hung on a different tree, one in Judea 2,000 years ago. Hey, let me read you a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to an early church. And from the message translation, here's what it says. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We're all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. You know, back then, criminals were executed by crucifixion. And in an offhand way, crucifixion was referred to as being hung on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus himself was hung on a tree for us. And anytime you're wondering if the love has run out on you, just look to the one who hung on a tree for you. He's no longer on the tree nor in a grave. He is alive and available to you right now. God knows that we need more than verbal assurance. We need a tangible demonstration of his love, something we can look to and know that the love will never run out. Jesus is so much more than an ornament. 
He's a living example of unconditional love. He was hung on a tree, crucified, to ensure and demonstrate that the love would never run out on us. Jesus went to these extreme lengths to make room for you and me in his never-ending life. Jesus just didn't find room for us. It's not like he just happened to be crucified or found extra room in his schedule to sacrifice himself on our behalf. He made room for us. So too with Garland and Patricia Bush. They made room for Dave and his sister. It wasn't convenient or easy. It was costly. Love is costly. So whenever we need the assurance that the love hasn't run out, we can look to him, remembering that he hung on the very first Christmas tree for us. We don't find room, we make room. Again and again, Dave and his sister found that there was no room for them until they met the bushes who decided to make room for them. The truth is you never find room for who or what is important to you. You make room for it or them just like Christ made room for you at tremendous cost to himself. So in light of the great lengths that Christ has gone to to make room for you, may I suggest you take some time and decide how you're going to make room for Jesus. See, to say yes to Jesus, we must also first say no to something else. We might need to evict something from our lives to make room for Jesus and for people. My building's been testing our fire alarm system all week. But if there was a real fire, the smoke would be just as much, if not more of a threat than the flames. Why? Because of carbon monoxide poisoning. This happens when your red blood cells, specifically the hemoglobin, gets saturated with carbon monoxide. And there's no room for oxygen that you need to survive. You can inhale till you're blue in the face. <laughs> but if your red blood cells are full of carbon monoxide, there's no room in your blood for the oxygen that you need. So two things need to happen. First, you need to remove the carbon monoxide by removing yourself from the burning building. But that's not enough. You then need to flood your blood cells with oxygen in a hyperbaric chamber. The same principle holds true with our spiritual life. We have no time for Jesus because our time is filled with everything else. You will never find time for Jesus. You have to make time for him. So what needs to be evicted from your life? Maybe it's an unhealthy habit or relationship. It might be too much of a good thing. Or if you had less of that good thing, you could make room for the best thing. For when you make room for Jesus, you make room for others to know Jesus. Amazing things happen. Maybe for some of you, making room for Jesus might be fasting not going to those things that we look to for self-comfort, instead going to Jesus for that comfort that we need. Or it could be scheduling time away from everyone else, including your phone, just to enjoy Christ's presence as you would enjoy the presence of a good friend. Or maybe it means reading the Bible or re memorizing scripture. What habit might Jesus be inviting you to develop so he can become more a part of your life? See, Jesus made room for the bushes, and they were able to make room for Dave. And for some of you, Christ is inviting you to make room for others. Maybe it's as a foster family for children like Dave and his sister. Or maybe it's volunteering for our food distribution event coming up on December 11th. Or maybe it's thinking of that lonely person who might just need a phone call, a card, or a special gift. So who's Jesus asking you to make room for? 
Let's take a moment to ask Jesus those two questions. Don't strain or strive. Just make room right now in your thoughts for Jesus. Take a few deep breaths and invite Jesus to speak into your thoughts. Now ask Jesus two questions. First, Jesus, how would you like me to make room for you? Second, who are you asking me to make room for? Thank you, Jesus, for making room for us. Amen. If something came to mind, I want to encourage you to act on it. Take a moment to put it in your calendar. Make a reminder to yourself. Don't miss out. See, if your Tuesday isn't different because of today, you're missing the best part. God most often speaks to us through our thoughts. It's not always apparent that it's his voice, but it just might be. So try it out. If nothing specific came to your mind or if what came to your mind doesn't resonate with you, that's all right. Jesus may just want some more time alone with you. So I recommend setting aside some time later today or later this week to revisit those two questions with Jesus. As Jesus in the bushes made room for that boy, Dave then made room for Jesus. And the joy, reality, and power of Christmas thrives in this man that I'm honored to call friend. Even when it seemed like no one had room for him, Jesus made room for Dave, healed his injuries, gave him a home and a family. And today, Dave dedicates his life to helping others discover that God has made room for them. In a moment, you'll meet Dave Bush, worship pastor for First Baptist Church of San Francisco. Maybe you too long for Jesus, who is known as Emmanuel, to come into your life. We can make room for the one who really can help and save us. And the good news, as you heard in Jeff's message, Jesus does come. He does hear our prayers and he does help and heals and listens to all of our concerns. You know, some of you watching this service at some time during the service, maybe it was during Jeff's message or during that wonderful song at the end or some time prior, you may be thinking, you know what? This Jesus, I think I might really want to follow him now. I, I want to kind of devote my life to him and I want to learn more about him. And if you're there, we have found in the past when someone prays with a person who makes that kind of pledge to the Lord, it really helps. So I want to pray with you if that is your desire right now. And it's going to be a simple prayer of basically saying, sorry, thank you, and please. Um, and you'll hear the prayer in a moment. So if you want to, in the silence of your hearts, pray with me right now, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I know there may be some here who are saying, I want to follow this Jesus that has this unending, unconditional love um, about me, and this love never ends. And Lord, if there are some people here who are saying that, May they just say a simple prayer with me that first off starts off with kind of a confession saying, sorry, Lord, maybe I've ignored you all these years of my life or maybe I've strayed from you, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for always forgiving my sins. Thank you for welcoming me back 
and please come into my life. Send me your Holy Spirit, and I want to make you a priority in everything I do. And so, Lord, I, I pray this prayer to you that please come into my life. In Christ's name, amen. Short prayer, but it can be a very profound prayer too. Life-changing prayer. And if you gave that prayer, you'll see a, a commit button on your screen and you can just hit that saying, I, I, committed, I committed my life to, to Jesus. And even more better, you see that other button about um, I desire prayer? Hit that button too and someone will just pray with you in a confidential um, setting and um, pray with you as you continue on your journey, uh, whether it's a commitment or a recommitment. Now, having said that, right after the service ends, I want to give everybody the opportunity to join a connect group. And you'll see a button come up uh, soon for that or a link. And if you go on that, hit the button or hit the link, then you can be put in a group where people will be responding to the sermon we heard and discussing it. And it's really fun. And if you're new to our fellowship, it's a way to get to know new people and kind of talk story, but also to go a little deeper. You know, sometimes we hear a message and then we jump in the car and we forget about it. And so now it's just a way to get to know people and get to know a bit more about the, the meaning of the message. But right now, let me give a blessing to you all. All right, you ready? Okay, receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful, unending, unconditional love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Until next week, ahui ho, I'll see you later. Right now is a great time to take a quick inventory of your life. What things can you remove from your life and then replace that time with Jesus. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako, but during this COVID season, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church's websites, fpchawaii.org or thevinehawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11 for First Prez, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, and daily devotionals. If you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.